This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Lee Green, host of the Stairway to CEO podcast. This is episode 188. And today I sat down with Jake Carls, the co-founder and chief rainmaker at Midday Squares. Midday Squares are delicious functional chocolate bars made from a blend of plant-based protein and superfoods. And Jake is a character. I had so much fun during our interview. We talk about his dream to become a hockey goalie, how he partnered with his sister and brother-in-law to create the company Midday Squares, why they decided to build their own manufacturing facility, his challenges with burnout, and what it's like to deal with trolls on the internet. I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks so much for listening. Jake, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story in building Midday Squares. Thanks so much for joining us. I love it. I'm excited to chat. I think we're going to get into some cool details, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Huge fan of the product. It's really good. I ate like the entire box in one week. Thanks for sending (laughs) some over. (laughs) Thanks, no thanks. (laughs) No, No, they're really good. I'm excited to dive into product. But before we do that, Let's start from the very beginning. I'd love to hear about what it was like growing up. What kind of kid were you? Where did you live? Did you have siblings? What did your parents do? Tell us about little Jake. Yeah, little Jake was is the same as large Jake or growing <laughs> Jake um, in many ways. I think the authenticity is shining as a kid, like really young. And then now I think children, in my opinion, are their authentic selves, which is so, which is so amazing because I find in society, as a lot of people do get older and in quotations, grow up. I think they lose that authenticity and that curiosity and that specialness about them than when they were a kid. So for me, I'm actually proud that I'm kind of became a kid again today, but let's, let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. I have uh, two siblings. One is my business partner. It's my sister. And I have another sibling who's my brother and he is another entrepreneur as well. He owns a toy company, which is really cool. That's doing really well in the U S and Canada. And I have a father and a mother. I'm grateful that our family is still very, very close. All of us. And my mother works for Midday Squares now, but my father, (laughs) yeah, my father built a business with his brother from zero, importing and exporting products. And he just worked really hard. You know, he he was away six months of the year when doing work, building the business up. And I watched that. And I think watching that grow up and the hard work that goes into and the sacrifices you got to make kind of really inspired me at a really young age, just subconsciously seeing that definitely played a huge role today where I know how anything is possible. As long as you work hard, you have that resilience, that grit and passion and, and, and love for what you do. So I grew up in that environment in Montreal, Canada, and my parents just wanted us to work hard. The three of us, it didn't matter if we necessarily went to school. It mattered that we just figured out how to work hard and we didn't just sit back and do nothing. 
I think that that mentality at a young age, trying to work hard, and we all played sports, competitive sports, really instilled in us, like, again, that that grit and resilience, and that failure is not a bad thing type of thing, but failure mm-hmm. could actually like propel you forward if you choose that mindset. So yeah, going through that, I'm definitely grateful that I had that ability to see that. And then again, watching, being exposed to an entrepreneur, you get to meet other entrepreneurs along the way that have done or, or are doing things. And I think that that's where my curiosity was really peaked at an early age, seeing that and asking questions. Where were you? How old were you? And Young. I, I was like 12 years old. I so was you like you met really entrepreneurs, curious. which were your dad's friends that also had businesses? Some of them were my dad's friends or just like I would go work in his warehouses, even though it was like, yeah, like I was really young. I, I would go see the environment and understand again what the hard work entailed. I think that was a super important lesson. And again, over the summers, I would go work in his warehousing to see what packing boxes and, you know, doing stuff in the heat. Like I actually got to experience all different parts of a business. And I think that that was a huge win growing up. I didn't get to play around and do all these other things like play the sports and all that jazz in the summer and do that. But I think that this allowed me to see what the world actually looks like. And and then I would ask my, like my dad when he went on traveling overseas, he did a lot of, he had to build his business overseas in Asia. And I would always ask questions about it. I was so curious. So I got to see a little bit more than just what the internet had at the time or um, like magazines or the news. So it was kind of cool. So with your dad, who's an entrepreneur, did you want to be an entrepreneur then at around 12 years old because you saw this in your dad? Or No, I just, what my dad showed me was that, and my mom, they showed me that anything is possible. You could work hard and achieve whatever you want. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't have to be financially successful or anything like that. It's just, if you work hard and put your effort and love into something, you have a chance at winning in that field. So I want to be a professional hockey player. That was my goal. My dream was to be an NHL player, a goalie. And again, I put my effort, my work into that. So I, the lessons I learned as a kid was sacrifice. So I sacrificed weekends, nights, like, you know, things like that to train and try to get really good. But unfortunately, I wasn't tall. I'm 5'10 now, but I just wasn't big enough at the time, in my opinion, to, to make it to where I wanted to make it. But I still played very high competitive and I, I took that very seriously. And that was my dream. And, and when that kind of started to realize that that wasn't panning out the way necessarily I thought it could. I started to look at actually entrepreneurship and I had a, I had a, my first business ever in like high school, like, like I'm talking like grade eight, grade nine in Canada, high school is from seven to 11. I basically bought t-shirts and jerseys, sports jerseys from overseas. I found like a supplier. I brought them in and then I would sell them to my fellow classmates and fellow grade mates, whatever you want to call them, you know, students. And I had made so much margin. I learned business that way because I was wheeling and dealing in school, these yeah. jerseys and everyone wanted the sports stuff because everyone loved sports as a kid, you know, the hockey team here, the basketball teams, all that stuff. And I had a thriving business. I was like a hero in high school. But the thing about it was I was very bad academically. So I was compensating the academic insecurities that I had to gain attention and be the class clown and the business guy in school. So I had that attention for that, right? Which was probably the best thing I went through. I'm curious because you said that one of the biggest things that your parents instilled in your childhood, one of the things that you remember the most was that anything is possible, right? And so here I'm imagining if your dream as a kid is to be a hockey player, what did you have to do to kind of unravel that, that you're being taught anything's possible, but then you're kind of shifting away from that? I was starting to lose my love for hockey as much as I loved it before. I started to not enjoy the training as much. I started to not enjoy playing the game as much. I didn't want the I didn't want to go further. And that was a choice. So it was like, I thought that there was more to life than that. Hmm. And it was a relief. And guess what? I still play hockey today. And I play now for fun. And it's so amazing. And I play with my friends. I laugh. And I play with my you know, older peers, people I work with. It's, it's, it's amazing. But 
at the time there was a turning point and this wasn't in high school. This was a little later. This was like right before college where I just realized that I wasn't going to make the NHL and that I didn't want it anymore. And I, I, I didn't want to put the hard work in and I didn't feel like the, it was worth the sacrifice that I was making. So I just flipped that around and I want to enjoy myself with my friends, family, go to college, have fun with it, not take it too seriously and then figure myself out after. Makes sense. So you sold these jerseys. You're not very good in school. What kind of happened from there? Yeah. So I, I almost failed high school. So like I literally was just very bad academically. And my parents were actually called in to the principal's office in grade 11, which is the last year for high school. And they said, your son's not going to graduate. Everyone else is going to graduate. In that moment, I kind of said, holy shit, like I'm the only one in the entire grade that's going to move backwards and everyone's going to move forwards according to society, you know, guidelines, let's call it. And yeah, I saw it in that moment. I said, screw it. I'm going to take it seriously because I can't be back. I don't want to be the one that's behind. And I did. And I did my academics. I did very well in that last year. I went to CGEP, which is basically right before college. We have to do it where I'm from in Montreal, Quebec. It's basically grade 12 and 13. And you do it. And then you go to college after that. And and basically, it's like a transition, right? So I did really well at that transition. And that I studied to be an actuary, which is basically deep stats and math. And the only reason I chose that program, again, was to prove to everybody else that I'm smart academically now and that I'm not in my opinion, the one that was more behind and struggled, right? So I didn't want to have that reputation anymore of being that person. I wanted to, I, I wanted to do it for everyone else and think that I was smart. So I did that program. I failed miserably. And in my third year, I decided after not getting a job in any investment making job or insurance companies or actuary jobs, I got rejected in every single interview. I was watching Shark Tank on my parents' couch and I was sulking like a baby. And I saw this guy pitch his dream and he looked so free and happy and even though he had so much responsibilities. And in that moment, I was like, it kind of reminded me of my days of the jerseys. And then also like, kind of like, this looks fun. I want this freedom. So I launched my second business right then and there. And that was, again, I looked at my passion and my and what I loved at the time. And that was fitness. So I opened up an outdoor boot camp, and I actually made a lot of money doing that for, for two and a half years. And it was so much fun. That's awesome. So you have this outdoor boot camp. That's kind of your first foray into entrepreneurship. You said you made some money, but you only did it for two years. So well, what what happened after that? Why shift away? So I built this great thing. I had 180 clients. It was like the talk of town in my neighborhood. Um, I was basically training people outside on a driveway. I had equipment. Everyone wanted to be outside and where I'm from because it's cold during the winter. So in the summer, everyone loves being outside. I was using Snapchat to blow it up and it was working. Taking the content on Snapchat, I would, I would basically be working from 6 a.m. to like 6 p.m. every day, seven days a week. And I don't know, I loved it so much that it was, it didn't seem like work. And then towards the end, even though I was making a lot of money, money wasn't the answer. I felt like I was a chore. I woke up and I didn't want to, I didn't want to even talk to anybody. So I hired a bunch of people to do it and it just wasn't the same. It didn't feel the same. The energy, the momentum, the passion was slowly fading. And I realized that I love entrepreneurship, the idea of the entrepreneurship and freedom, but I'm slowly not loving the fitness, similar to my hockey career, like where I start to realize I stopped loving it as much. I knew that that was the time to move on, even though I was making money. And I launched, I used that capital to launch a second real business, let's call it. And that was a basically a college party businesses. I went to colleges across Canada and I would throw parties on the campuses and then tell the stories of students on social media of like who they are, show them wearing my clothing that I was trying to sell through that. And the business model made zero sense. I went bankrupt after two years, I lost 87,000, I think it was, but the brand was hot. And the reason why the brand was hot because the storytelling was fun. The storytelling was powerful. And I used Snapchat and Instagram at the time for that. And it worked really well. 
but I was a very bad operator. So operation wise, I didn't know how to run the business. The accounting was off. The legal was off the manufacturing component. I didn't even know what I was doing. The margin profile didn't even make any sense. So I just needed help and I didn't know how to do it. Right. And that's when my sister, my brother-in-law approached me after this business. And they're like, you are this genius storyteller and this community builder. That's who your strength. We need that for the business that we want to launch. Do you want to join us as the third founder and help us launch this chocolate bar company? And this was when I was 25 years old. And I was at the time I got my ex-girlfriend broke up with me. I closed the business. I was going through a really depressing time in my life and I, I had nothing else to do. So I was like, yeah, let's just do this. And we came together and we launched Midday Squares, August 2018. And it's been a wild, a wild fucking journey since that I can't even explain that I get to do what I love every day because I'm, I'm the community builder, I'm the storyteller, but I don't need to operate the business because that's not what I'm good at. And that's what I learned through my five years before of entrepreneurship is what I'm really bad at not to do that and to do what I'm really good at. So that was the journey to where I am, I guess, today. That's great. That's the beauty of co-founders, right? Is hopefully you find co-founders that have complementary skill sets and you can really create something amazing because everybody has their own unique kind of superpower. Not everybody is good at everything. And learning that early, I mean, what a blessing that was to learn something so early about yourself that you could really hone in on that and and basically find a role for yourself that is perfect for who you are. So your power being storytelling. I'm wondering, so with these person, have you taken personality tests? Are you like very high on the extrovert? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like very high octane extrovert. I don't, I'm not embarrassed of anything. Like I love people. People energize me. Rooms that are low energy depress me. So I'm really high extrovert. My partners are really high introverts, which makes a good balance, in my opinion. And I just think that like, I do need my time alone. Like when I give energy every day to people, like I do come home and I am exhausted and I feel like I just need to like sit in a bathtub and relax. Mm -hmm. But like, if you see me like out there, like you'll see, like I'm, I'm on stages all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm traveling the world. My job I've is to seen. make friends You have people. like crowds of people, <laughs> you get them rallied up. I mean, the amount of energy it's like you have to have is like Tony Robbins level. Yes, I'm like, you, yeah, you're you yes. off the charts on energy. And I'm just like, I hope you're naturally an extrovert because this is like a very extrovert <laughs> yes. job. No, but this, this is my job, right? And I don't even look at it as a job anymore. I look at it more as just like, I'm doing me and I'm unapologetic. I've learned to really be confident in who I am to then allow me to go do what I want to do. Like, you're right. Like to get a crowd dancing and wild and, you know, in a serious environment is, is really hard if you're doing it inauthentically because not it's many people can do that. Exactly. But for me, it, it seems like normal because it's who I am. Right. And like, I'll act, I'll acapella and I'm the worst singer in the world. I'll acapella like midway through and be like, just hitting it. And everyone's just like, uncomfortable for two seconds and they're like yeah this guy's actually giving it his all like That's hilarious i'm like 70 percent, maybe 75 percent, i think on the extrovert scale so I, I can do the public speaking thing but getting people to like dance or rally like that it's a whole nother level of energy you have to have on stage so i mean i i think it's fascinating and really really cool to see you do this and bring so much energy to a brand and i mean what a powerful thing as a brand to have somebody completely devoted that to that as a co-founder you know a lot of groups it's like two co-founders maybe it's a solo founder and they don't have someone who's a chief rainmaker as you call yourself <laughs> Yeah, I think it's super important when you have a business. There's a lot of rainmakers in banking and legal world, which is basically they bring in the business, right? So they'll bring in the clients. They're not lawyers. They're not bankers. Their focus is to build relationships and then bring them to the firm to get business and then walk away from that transaction, right? And mm -hmm. keep the relationship. So my job is literally to make friends with new customers, journalists, retailers, investors, PR people, new team members, 
And it doesn't make a difference who I am. I don't have an agenda. It's just, it's just to get them to like me, become friends with me. And then hopefully that could bring them to the midday scores brand ecosystem. Right. And that's what I do every day. My focus is that I don't do any corporate stuff anymore. I tried the CMO role at the beginning. I hated it. It was not for me. I was a horrible manager. My partners couldn't stand me as the manager that I was. So I stepped away from that and I said, I need to do what I'm good at. I need to spread my wings. And when you get to that feeling, it's kind of like this like jailbreak where you kind of feel like you're out there and you're just, you don't even know time's flying because you are yourself. And I find that I always tell people like when you are yourself, truthfully, you are your best version and you are unstoppable because no one can actually be you. Only you can be you. So it's a competitive advantage. It's just a lot of people are scared to be themselves because they're fearful of the judgment. They're fearful of the consequences. They're fearful of what others think about them. But for me, leaning into that fear, which we all have that fear, is, is where I get my momentum, my energy, and my my high octane, to be honest with you, because that's where possibilities are. And, and then bring it back all the way to my childhood. I saw that, right? I saw the opportunity to really figure it out when you are yourself. And it's it's a winning formula. But again, a lot of our society blocks that, unfortunately, because we want everyone to fit into a certain, I guess, path. Definitely. And I think there's this, you know, natural thing in all of us that we want to be good at so many things. And instead of honing in on or eliminating things that are kind of distracting. I've read this quote today. It was kind of weird. It's got me thinking. It said something about like kids. And it said, if your kid is struggling in math, but is a tennis star, get them a tennis coach, not a math tutor. And I was like, that goes against everything you would think you should do. But actually, it makes so much sense in a way because you're supporting that kind of natural interest and ability. And it's the same thing, I think, with you. You know, you've you've got this role that is able to keep you your strengths in your power zone instead of distracting it or diluting it by doing so many other things that are maybe not in that wheelhouse. Yeah. And you're so right. Like, I think that, like, you should play to your strengths. We have such a short time on this planet. Like you're on a short vacation. I'm on a short vacation, whether we like it or not, our time will come when it comes. Right. So it's like, why try to break your head to do something that you're not good at when it's going to take you so much longer to achieve it. Maybe it's beautiful. If you have the most time in the world, unlimited to learn stuff that you're not good at and kind of get better. I get it. Fine. But if you're trying to build something special and you want to just, you want to go, I think that you got, you got, you got to find your strength. And if that means finding a partner, that's really good at what you're bad at. That's the best thing to do for us. Three of us are so different. My partners are so different. We all have different skill sets. And that's what makes this thing a great business is because we all bring value in a different way to the business. And we trust each other to bang out or execute on what we say. Right. And like, you know, I'll never forget. Someone once said to my partner, aren't you to my business partner? They said, they said to him, aren't you upset? Or don't you feel weird that your partner's traveling the world on TV all the time, radio, media, noise, crowds, and you're out here operating and building a manufacturing plan and not out there? And he's like, no, that's that's his role. He's bringing me every relationship I need. So I don't have to go hustle that type of skill, which I don't have. And I think that that's where, again, like this society is just backwards because it's like, you don't have to have a set title or set role to, to be good at something or to be a great leader, right? No constructs. I think we put these constructs and I think that slows us all down or it creates a ladder or a bureaucracy that actually hinders growth, both in the business and the personal world as well. And I think that that's where I'm trying to show everybody that you could do it by being you. And even if we don't make it big, let's say midday scores fails and I don't think it will, but if it does, 
I think you guys already out. are big. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, I think yeah. you're pretty much pretty big right now. <laughs> we're, we're getting big and, and we're getting bigger and bigger, hopefully. And I just think that if we could show everyone that we did it this way, then it shows that anything's possible for anybody because we're three whack jobs that know nothing about food, different skills, but we were able to come together and build something special. So I think that that's the goal and mission of this company. It's not so much to you know, just sell, sell chocolate. It's more like, can we aspire that next gen or the current gen, the boomers, whatever, to take a little bit more action and being themselves and a little bit more action and being a little bit more bold, make I more wonder, bold decisions. It sounds like maybe that person isn't very familiar with building a business because <laughs> you guys are also on the same team. So like someone's yeah. got to do it, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter who it just needs to be done. So it's really kind of funny. Anyway, so you, you kind of joined your sister and your brother-in-law and you obviously have very complementary skill sets within the three of you, but did you do any kind of validation testing or any personality tests or anything to kind of validate those things? Or did you kind of just already know each other so well and it just fit and you just ran with it? Well, it's a great question. We didn't do any tests. We do do therapy once a week together as partners to understand each other very deeply and have hard conversations in a safe zone where we can learn and become, again, better leaders, better people, and, and have those really difficult conversations, which I think a lot of partners should do. But not the skills. So I think what we did early on was we each have been in entrepreneurship for five plus years doing businesses, swinging and missing. So my brother-in-law is a software engineer by trade, and he built a data business, an ad tech business, and that was successful. And he sold it. He also tried to build a lot of other businesses that failed completely. My sister has always been in manufacturing, whether it's clothing, she wanted to build, do construction. Like She's been in all these different things that have to do with execution on manufacturing level making and building. And then for me, I've always actually been storytelling. If you look at the things I did, it was all used. I used social media at the time. I used how to tell a story to bring people in. So community building. So we knew that we each had a different skills. When we came together, we just had to trust each other that those skills would work and we would let each other do what we do best and not bother unless there was a danger. And that type of trust is so hard to achieve. And I think that that's one of our greatest assets is how much we trust each other to to do what we each say we're going to do or do more than that, right? And we haven't had a problem to date over the last five years with the trust. And again, if we do have a problem, the first thing we do is call our therapist and say, hey, can we hold a session? Because these sessions get to deep talk, right? You get very deep and very personal and very very fragile relationships. So you need that protection or that safe zone to guide the conversation in a way where the outcome is, there's a real outcome after a solution. Right. That's excellent. I love that you guys have a therapist every week. I'm sure. Do you also see a coach? So he's a therapist coach. So he's, he does both for, does both for us. Yeah. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about, but Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. 
And so it's been quite a few years. Talk about, I guess, the timeline here of building the business, what it's been like since the launch in August 2018, and the growth of the business revenue-wise, if you've had to fundraise throughout that time. But if you could kind of summarize for us a year-by-year play, that would be great. So August 2018, we launched the business in our condo kitchen, and we were hand-making bars Think about it. It was 80 bars per day maximum for the three of us to make. And then we would hand deliver them from 5 p.m. till 10 p.m. So from 5 a.m. till 5, 5 p.m., we would make the bars by hand, 80 bars per day. Then we would go hand deliver in our region, our city, because we couldn't afford shipping to the customers. And we'd meet them and get to know them. And as that was going on, we were filming and documenting everything. Our strategy was simply not talk about the product on social media, but share the journey of how we build this business, good, bad, ugly, shared all on social media because we knew that the raw, authentic content, the unfiltered content would create some sort of relatability and it would create this like trust with the consumer where they felt like, hey, this business is so different. They're not talking about their features and their product. They're actually showing us how they build the business, which is so much more story driven rather than promotion or sales driven. So we did that. Then we knew that in year one that we would have to scale this business because we would just keep hiring more people and more people to make the bars, but it was getting too crowded in the condo kitchen so we found a small kitchen, commercial kitchen, where we, we we basically hired 25 people to make the bars. We were making like, I don't know, 2,000 bars a day, 1,500 bars a day. Things were going well. We were selling a lot. We weren't even paying attention to anything. We were losing a ton of money. We started a negative 14 gross margin at the time, which is really low. And then we got investment at the end of that year, one from Boulder Food Group that basically wanted to venture fund this business. And the reason why they wanted to venture fund this business was because they saw good traction in this refrigerated bar category that we were building, sorry, that we were joining and helping build in Canada and then joining in the United States. But they also saw that they wanted to take a bet on the fact that we couldn't go to a co-manufacturer to scale our product. And this is really important for anyone in CPG is a lot of brands that you know, create food products, they third party their manufacturing. So they send it out. It's done by third party. It's contracted. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is sales and marketing. We tried that. We went to 26 different co-manufacturers across Canada, United States, and Europe, the best bar manufacturers, the best chocolate bar manufacturers. They were unable to make the product the way we wanted the two texture layer, the chocolate, the way we wanted the ingredient deck that we were using a cocoa butter base. They basically said to us, you have to change it if you want to work with us. And you have to basically change it towards the other, all basically all the other products in the market, because they're all made by the same people. And my sister looked at us and said, no, we're not changing it. We're staying true to who we are. We are going to build a manufacturing plant, which again, was, was very expensive at the time, still is very expensive. And she basically said like, she was going to figure out how to get custom machines because they weren't the regular bar manufacturing machines. So she put up this plan. We got the funding. They basically said, the venture capital said, if you could figure this out, you're going to have a great business, but we don't really think you're going to figure it out, you know, because it's very difficult. Anyways, we got funding from the government to go buy up this custom machinery that we wanted to get built. And we did about a million bucks in our year one. We did 3 million in our year two. We ended up doing 9 million in our year three. Last year, we did 15.2 million. This year, we're hopefully going to be 25 and 30. And we're proud to say that today, the margin is about 56 percent 54 to 56 depending depending the day <laughs> should be stabilized but um right now it's 54 to 56 and we have a potential to get to 65 percent gross margin so at scale so the idea was is that we built our factory it's custom made it's 95 percent automated we're a team of 60 amazing people here in montreal we could do capacities of up to 90,000 bars per day at full scale We've come such a long way on that end. And we've also built an entire company now where we have a media team taking all our content, documenting that journey. So it's not us doing it anymore. Yes, it's still the same real story, 
but it's been a crazy wild journey and we've been funded about 17 million of venture funding today. And that's not to go to manufacturing. That's been going to pure growth and optimization of the business. Wow. Huge summary there. Lots to to unpack <laughs> with the um, growth and everything. So you just said, I think $17 million in funding. How has the fundraising journey been for you guys? What's been one of the biggest challenges that you faced in raising money? I think challenging challenges early on is no one wanted to invest in a manufacturing company, meaning right. that they wanted to co-manufacturing. They didn't think it was worth it. The cost, the CapEx was way too much. The, the risk didn't make any sense. That was the hardest thing to get. And again, Boulder Food Group at the time took a risk on that, even though they they were too a little shaky on it. And now today, that's a whole different story. A lot of the venture funding and CPG actually don't, they actually like being your own manufacturer because it gives you advantages on margin. Gross margin also gives you advantages on controlling all of the innovation, controlling everything that you have and keeping an innovation in the system. One thing that we use to our strength for fundraising that we've been able to choose amazing partners, you know, City Capital is our largest partner and they're phenomenal as well is, and we have a lot of other great partners, is that we storytell out loud. I like to say we build out loud. That is our strategy on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Our focus is we share our journey, the good, the bad, the ugly, financially, non-financially, milestones, adversities, transparency, everything on social media as the story is. And that allows us to get the attention of a lot of people, whether that's media or investors. So when we do come to the table and we need to raise capital, we have a group of people that have either already reached out to us because they're so curious or have already seen us and it's not a cold reach out. So that makes the fundraising process a lot easier and has made us be, has given us the, the opportunity and privilege to choose who our partners are on our fundraising and to choose the people that we love as individuals, not just as a fund, but as the actual people we like to hang out with. And that's been a huge advantage for our business where we've controlled our board, we continue to control our board. We have majority of the vote in our company. And I think that that's a secret weapon of ours that we've used. And any company could do that. It's just, they got to be authentic. They got to be able to share something that's interesting that people care to see. And it works. And again, we all have social media, so you might as well use it to your advantage. The consequences is competition sees your stuff. The other consequences is that people get turned off by you. That's part of the game. If you're, not, if you're liked by everybody, that's, that's weird. If, you know, it's got to be 50-50. Yeah, I think that's probably what a lot of people fear, right? Is that they don't want to be ripped off by the big guys or copied or all of these things. But that's kind of what happens when you put yourself out there anyways. Have you guys experienced any of that? Or what, what have some of those downsides of being so transparent? What have they been like for you guys? Well, I think the big thing about the transparency is that you get trolled. You get people that say very mean things about you. And, and you're a human. I'm a human. The business is a human as well. And well, it's a combined amount of humans, but the idea is that we still have feelings, right? And that's the downside of being real and being out there is people know your information. They could say really rude things and it's out there, right? And then the positive of that is also that it's it's liberating. It takes pressure off you, believe it or not. When you're a business and you share why you have to raise prices and you show exactly the transparency of why that happened and what would happen if we didn't do it your fans actually trust you and love you more because they're like, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being authentic. Thank you for not just changing it and not saying anything. You know, that's what most people do. And a lot of businesses, unfortunately, strive for perfection today. And even individuals on social media, it's all perfection. That doesn't relate to the human because the human knows that life is full of speed bumps, stop signs, U-turns. It's not a straight line, right? So whoever puts that straight line or promotes that straight line all the time, it's just, it's creating a gap, a distance between you and the fan or you and the customer or you and your friend. 
something that you know we're proud of is the transparency has been right more than we are wrong. And meaning that what I mean by that is people have loved it more than they don't love they don't love it. Right. So I find that we've created a bigger bond with everyone we work with because of that transparency that creates a friendship and makes people feel like they're buying from our thesis was buying from a friend, a family or a neighbor, because that creates a connection, an emotional connection. And I think that all the downside of the negativity that comes from it is like, it's not even relevant because that's a them problem, not a me problem or an us problem. It's a, it's a them problem of the individual that's actually dealing with that. Right. So that's the disadvantage. You got to be prepared to take on the heat from people with that type of transparency. Totally. Do you think it's like a 50-50 thing? Like as soon as you put something out there, there's going to be someone who puts it back on you? Or is it more like a 90-10 where it's like 90% of the time you guys put things out there, it's totally positive. And then there's those 10% of people that are like, you get the negative stuff. Like, how does it look? I think it's 80-20 or 75-25 publicly, but I think it's really 50-50 inside. I think there's a lot of people that say one thing and then they they completely think a different way. I've struggled over time with this is that, you know, people should want you to win if you are winning or uplift you when you're down. And I think that our, unfortunately, that's not the case. A lot of people, they don't actually uplift you, right? And a lot of the time, it's like, there's a lot of insecurities from individuals. And, I, and the reason why I know this is because I felt that once I was comparing myself to everybody, I was putting people down that I should never put down because I didn't have anything against them. I was just, it was a me suffering my insecurities of wanting it. That's something that they deserved. I didn't get. And that killed my life. It took me off my game. It just basically made me a miserable person. And when I changed that, I became so much more happy for people and fired up and inspired rather than, hey, I'm judging or I, I can't stand you or I'll make fun of you or I'll point out a flaw. This is unfortunately how humans work and they need to work on themselves to fix that because it's such a horrible trait to have. And it could ruin your whole life. It, it took me completely off track of being the Jake that I wanted to be or the Jake that I should have been. And it took me to a person I didn't even recognize. And when was that? Was that when you were selling some shirts? Was that when you were like, what What part of the business or businesses that you've had or in your life? When was that part for you when you were at the bottom? I think the bottom happened actually two years ago during this business. I, I got so caught up with all the all the attention I was getting as a business. We had some big wins, celebrities eating our stuff. We had media articles. We were raising money. We were on a high. And I wasn't getting these awards I wanted and all these things. And I was just start to become, I start to hate myself. And I started to envy others. I would also put them down. Like I would be like, I would see that somebody had a, let's say they got into a new retailer and I'd be like, oh, why did they get that? And I was like, oh, they didn't deserve that. Their product shit, even though I didn't actually think it was shit. And I just started to look at myself and hear myself. And I would go to therapy about this. And I'd be like, this is not who I am. This is the opposite of who I am. I'm caught in this weird game of dopamine and you know, the idea that I'm not getting what I, what I thought I wanted. And I wanted to show my whole idea was show everyone else what I'm getting. Because again, it came back to my insecurities early on as a kid where I felt like I need to prove myself, right? So this was my way of proving myself, you know, winning in business, showing all this stuff what was my dream rather than, hey, let's build this business because I love it, which is what drives a business and that I want to be there, be part of. And yeah, so I went to therapy for months on it, like individually. And I worked through many different things and basically came back to my game where, I focused on me being the best version of myself, but also being happy for others, especially others that I love and I care about and are my friends and family and acquaintances, but also people I don't know. And I stopped pointing out flaws. Maybe if I do it occasionally, I catch myself and I'm like, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. And I'm I'm way happier. I feel more energized. I feel more more fulfilled, believe it or not. And I feel like I'm playing my game better than ever before because I lost that that ability to be jealous or be 
be envious or be um, judgmental. And there's nothing worse when you're in a, in a group of people and you say something bad about someone, you don't even want to say something bad, but you say it and you're just like, why the hell did I do that? Or if other people are talking, you don't step up to the other person that you actually believe in. And I was doing that. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting how we learn so much about ourselves as we're entrepreneurs and growing a business. Things pop out that we didn't even realize about ourselves that we need to work on so that we can grow personally and professionally and the business can also grow with us. I know that you mentioned, I mean, it looks like from the outside, you have a very glamorous job in a way. You're going and speaking and you're rallying people, getting them all excited and you're the rainmaker. But I know that I'm sure a lot of what you do, it can be very challenging. It, the travel is a lot, the energy level, you have to recover after each you know event, I'm sure, in some way. What does that look like for you to balance this? What are some of the challenges? So I had two burnouts, one small one, one large one six months ago or five months ago, where I had to take a, a month and a half sabbatical from work because I went too hard. Mm -hmm. And again, I was like traveling every day. I was meeting thousands of people a month. I was out there. I was I was promoting I was, as if I was running for president. Honestly, that's what it was yeah. like. Yeah. And it was like I was campaigning and I was like, this is deadly. And then I got hurt my back. I hurt my back playing hockey that, you know, at night because I'd have to I doubt how I take my stress. I was playing sports and like release it. And I fell and I hurt my back. And then the physically, I was in so much pain. I was like almost, I couldn't really move well. And I was like, oh my God, my identity is crushed. Like if I can't move well, then what am I going to do? And it all hit me. I had a perfect storm. It, I broke down. I cried like crazy. I, I felt like I was, I didn't know who I was again. And yes, I took off work. I stopped like engaging with people, to be honest with you at all. I, I started to just sit at home and work on therapy, like calm down. And that was like a month and a half of just that every day therapy. And after that, I slowly start to come back and I slowly start to build back my energy, build back my momentum and build back my lifestyle and kind of who I am. And I got back on a fire train, like a treadmill again, where I was running full speed, full steam, living crazy again, in terms of like promoting campaigning, like that kind of vibe. And people around me just said, I hope you learned your lesson. Like today, like recently they've been telling me like, I hope you learned your lesson. You're going really hard right now. And you could relapse into that meant that whole situation. Right. And I kind of, I said, yeah, you're right. And I just took a week off as of in second week of October to slow down again, because it's real, like burnouts are real. And I don't know what the next burnout would do to me. The other one took me out for a month and a half, but this one could take me out for years, right? Because yeah. it doesn't just affect you mentally. It's like physically exhausting, draining, and like, it's unhealthy. You get sick from it, right? And yeah, so I, I think my life is glamorous to a certain extent. Like, you know, like I get to inspire a lot of people. I get to meet a lot of amazing people that I've never would have thought I'd meet from politicians to celebrities, to average folks, to industry leaders, to, you know, media executives. It's it's so cool. Like I never thought I'd be on this stuff, but I also need to prioritize myself and my health. And that's what I'm kind of focused on now because it's not sustainable. I don't want to be, you know, 40, 50 years old and not be able to move and just not be able to talk to people because I'm so burnt. So I'm trying to figure out these balances now. And yeah, but I, I do get through a lot of things. I get to travel. I get to uh, live in hotels. I get to uh, eat garbage food, <laughs> I guess, right. in the travel life. Totally. And, but then you also get a lot of attention, like, you know, like I get in magazines and newspapers and that's fun, but that's a dopamine hit. That's not like, that's not sustainable energy. That's cheap dopamine, in my opinion. That keeps you going for only so long until, like you said, if you don't rest, you get burnout. And burnout is ugly. I mean, burnout can last, like you said, years. I mean, it, it makes people quit their jobs a lot of times. And it's hard to get that motivation back sometimes from burnouts. 
Well, so before we kind of begin to wrap up, I want to talk about the product. It's amazing. It tastes great. I'm a huge fan. You know, like I said, when we first started, I basically, you know, the whole box was gone in the first week. (laughs) It's really delicious. It's really like a chocolate bar. And then you're like, oh, wait, but there's actually so many good things in here and it's protein and it's this and that. And it's, it tastes amazing. So kudos to you guys. If you want to talk a little bit about the product, maybe the best sellers, I'd love to hear it. But this, I mean, it's, you really have kind of, you guys are obviously creating a new category in midday snacking. And obviously with the name and everything you're doing, you're the leaders in the midday snacking space. So maybe you want to kind of talk about the product a little bit. Yeah. So I love it. Our product's called a functional chocolate bar. It's basically a dark chocolate bar that's an indulgence to satisfy your craving, but also give you proteins, fibers, and good fats that actually fill you up. So to keep you full of like two, three hours. And why we created this product in the first place is because my brother-in-law was addicted to chocolate, but didn't want to eat the sugar or the palm oil, all that stuff that's in chocolate. And my sister is a foodie. So she made him this snack for fun because she loved ingredients and clean ingredients. She made him basically a chocolate bar that had plant-based proteins, good fibers. And the idea was to be his afternoon snack and carry him over to his dinner time, but while giving him still an indulgence for the afternoon. So that's the product. You know, we made it specifically for that use case. And it's 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 no preservatives, no additive, it's clean, it's real foods. It lives in the refrigerator section because it's fresh. And we chose it because chocolate is a huge category worldwide. Chocolate snacking is like $140 billion annually. Health bars are just $22 billion annually, so globally. And so we are the kind of like the hybrid of those two categories. And it's been a wild journey building this company because it's a double texture layer. So the making the manufacturing, like we discussed earlier, really difficult to make because it's a real innovation. It's not just a chocolate bar that you see with or in rope chocolate and then filling in the middle. It's a double texture layer that's a snap bite to a pillow bottom. And again, not using real refined sugars and stuff like that. It makes it very complex to build a product. So we're proud of it. And I always tell people if if like Hershey's were to start in 2023, that's what Midday Squares is trying to create. Like Hershey's wouldn't create the products that they create. They would focus on, you know, better for you products and a brand that probably is more culturally relevant than the brands that are currently out there. That's awesome. I love it. Hershey of 2023. Yep. Awesome. So I guess before we wrap up, do you have any final advice for aspiring entrepreneurs that are either in the trenches building their business or thinking about taking the leap into building a business? And then also what's next for midday squares? Great. So my advice is block out the noise and be yourself. There's a lot of noise out there going to tell you to be a certain way. Even people that love you and care about you, something they have bad intentions, but they're not in your body. They're not, they're not in your game necessarily, your business. And it's nice to hear all this stuff, but at the end of the day, you know the game that you're on and, and your gut is going to be the strongest thing by the at the end of the day. So that's number one. Number two, being yourself, like I told you, is a superpower. It's what no one else in the world has but you. So use that to your advantage. Scream proudly of that and people will resonate or respect that. And then what's next for Midday Squares? You know, we're on the road to 100 million over the next two years and build that in the United States and Canada. And then continue to build and see where this goes. Maybe it's a global brand, you know, in multiple different countries. And, you know, it becomes the new age chocolate bar that people eat as a daily snack rather than having, you know, the typically high sugar, you know, palm oil chocolate bars. So that's really what we're trying to do. And again, show the world that you do it by being, that we're doing it by being ourselves, which means that you could do anything by being yourselves as well. We, were, we weren't foodies. We were entrepreneur junkies trying things and we're making some ways. We're making some movement. So I think that that's what we want to do. 
Well, I think you are making lots of movement (laughs) for the brand, you know, and the road to 100 million. I definitely have seen that post quite a few times on social media. It's fun to see the journey. Thanks so much, Jake, for joining us on the show and sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.